This episode is the first two-part episode of the American Grown Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to come back next week to hear the ending. Israel fight, like, Israel military is far beyond, I feel, that's that's my opinion, because for hundreds of years they've been surrounded by their enemy. Seriously, you're and right. And they're so yeah. small, right? right? It's, yeah. They've got to be a little dog with a lot of teeth. Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Now, turn up your volume and settle in for a great episode. This is the American Grown Podcast, recorded inside the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Today, we have Tim LeBay, a.k.a. Ramblin' Redbeard, Navy vet who served in Desert Storm and craft beer enthusiast. Tim, welcome to episode 60 of the American Grown Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. For the rest of the podcast, do you want to go by Redbeard or Tim? Let's go by Tim. All right. That sounds good. We'll do that. You know, I wanted to wish you a happy new year because your episode's going to come out the first Wednesday of January 2024. You as well. Thank you. Thank you. So being a big beer enthusiast, I got to ask, do you do or does your family in the past, have they, are they big sauerkraut, pork and sauerkraut people? No. No, (laughs) No. really? Okay. And and it's funny. My mom didn't drink. Yeah. Really? And uh, my dad... Would have a a beer. My dad was funny. My dad was old school, and he grew up during the depression, and he would crack a beer, yeah, and drink half of it, and then put a piece of tin foil over the can, really, and put it in the fridge for, save the, for the next day or the next time or whatever. So I didn't really get any of the 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 beer stuff. That came a lot later. Okay, uh, kind of in the navy days. All right, and we'll we'll dive into all that. <laughs> Just know that pork and sauerkraut, like especially for the New Year's, like a big thing, especially yeah. here in PA. And I didn't yeah. know if it was just like a PA thing, because you're from, I want to say Boston. Boston. Ah, I got yeah. it right. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 So we would do a tradition. Uh, my my dad was Canadian descent, and he had a tradition of doing pork pies What's for that? Christmas. What's... It's a it's like a pie, but uh, almost like a chicken pot pie, but it's all ground pork and some potatoes kind of oh, okay. tossed in there. That sounds pretty good. bake it, and it's that was just a... Christmas and New Year's tradition. Yeah. This is the first time we're meeting in person. Yeah. Uh, we connected through Instagram, mm-hmm. social media, the power of social media. Yeah. I think it was your Instagram, like uh, your bio that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've traveled now to all 50 states and you visited 365 breweries. So yeah. that just really caught my attention. It still blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I, that I did it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and we'll dive into all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you're going out, you are spreading word about. Uh, Irreverent Warriors. It's a support network for veterans. Correct, correct. It's a it's a community. So um, to to sum it up really well is that a big part of what they think veteran suicide can be attributed to is loss of community. When you spend so many time uh, so much time in the military in a in a community that's tight, you know people have your back. They all speak the same language as you. Um, acronyms, you know what they're saying. And then you get out and you don't have that community. It's easy to get lost. It's really easy to get lost in society. And then you spiral, you can spiral. So what Irreverent Warriors does is they put on these hikes throughout the country. I think there's 108 of them now. And actually we have some destination ones, Normandy, France, 
Puerto Rico, and and London, England. And what they are is in boot camp nowadays, you're mm-hmm. issued these things called silkies. And they're running shorts to do physical training. In. I think I've seen them. They're real, real short, aren't real, they? Real, real yeah, short. Like real, real short. Yeah. Real, real thin. Yeah. Guys like me, fat guys like me, should not be wearing them in public. <laughs> so we wear them in public. And we march um, or hike, march, walk um, nine miles approximately. Each hike is kind of different. But you, you wear a pack if you want. Um, people wear their combat boots. Now people get crazy and maybe wear costumes or okay. It's really to, I should say, get your freak on. But it's really just a, the idea I think in the original plan is to feel vulnerable, to be, feel vulnerable around a lot of people with a comfortable idea. Right, silkies is a yeah. comfortable idea for military people. So get them together in a way to a get people out of the house. Right. Right. So they're not alone. They're not alone. Yeah. And to make friends. And so the first hike I went on, I think there was 300 people. And that's a lot, like even for nowadays uh, standards. That was 2016. And you walk. There's all these like exercises kind of set up so that you can meet people. Okay. You're handed uh, some hikes that they'll pass out playing cards like four or five decks of playing cards and yeah. you go around, you, you put it on your body somewhere and you go around and try to find the person that has oh, your, match. your card uh, Okay, and you get talking with them. Other places they have uh, what's called b- battle buddy cards where you fill out your contact information and just hand it out to people. Um, there's exercises where they'll, they'll break you into groups of four or five or six or seven and everybody just tells their story and just, just talks. And then the f- from there, the Facebook community is huge. So there's one main page okay. for all of Irreverent Warriors. And there's then each hike has a Facebook page. And, you know, when you subscribe, you get notifications and people. I've seen everything on there from how do I start a lawnmower to I've got a gun in my mouth. Somebody please oh, wow. call Serious. Me. Dead serious. Yeah. 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 So. And everything in between. Wow. And just like you would like in a family, right? Yeah. You have Stuff each other's happens. backs. Yeah, you look right. out for each other, right. That kind of evolved into branches. So there's Irreverent Warriors um, Outdoors group. Okay. There's Irreverent Warriors Music group. Holy cow. Like, so it's a, it's a big interest, network. Okay. Yeah. So if you're like a big outdoors person. You get and you, but you want to do stuff with other veterans. You get on there and say, "Any, I'm in Pennsylvania and I want to do a hike. Anybody up for it?" Or, "Hey, I'm in Pennsylvania and I play guitar. Is there any other musicians?" Or, "Hey, I just got this new album." Whatever it is, and it, it's amazing. Like so, everybody just connects with everybody, and people help each other out. I've seen miracles. I mean, I've literally seen miracles happen through this through this organization. Do you want to talk about some of the, the things you've seen, some of the miracles? Yeah. So, I mean, on my trip, I can speak firsthand. You know, when I left on the trip, I, I knew I was going to, when I say promote, just make people aware of irreverent warriors. And I had these t-shirts made that I sold and I just wanted, I wanted people to, to ask me questions and, or me to tell people about irreverent warriors. And I said, you know, the, the proverbial, I, if I help one veteran, then I'll have done the trip will be worth it. And 
I personally helped a bunch, and then I witnessed a lot of other people help where I'll be on hikes, and people will give their testimonials. They'll say, yeah, two years ago, I literally was ready to pull the trigger, and I found out about Irreverent Warriors, and I went on a hike, and it changed my life. And now I'm starting a business and, you know, or I'm starting a family or I'm I'm, I'm better because they have that support group. And, and here's the the thing that I really um, feel strongly about getting the the message out. All veterans aren't mental cases. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I, and I, and, and not all veterans, people need help. People need help in everyday life and there's struggles and, you know, this year especially, right? Yeah. The, everything is oh, kind of gone to shit. Yeah, everybody needs a, a friendly face yeah, or a, a, a helping hand for sure. Yeah, so yeah. The, the veteran community isn't, a, you know, a, a whole bunch of crazy people. And the other thing is you don't have to have – what I get a lot from veterans is, well, I didn't serve in combat, so I'm not worthy of, of support. And I'm like, you raised your hand. You took an oath. You stepped to, up. You stepped up to support this, this country – and you don't need to have seen your buddy get killed or you don't have to have pulled the trigger yourself, whatever, to get out and, and need a community. You don't. And, and I think that a lot of people maybe don't ask for help for that reason. And I'm here to say, if you put the uniform on, you're part of the clan. You're yeah. part of the family. And that's awesome. And don't be afraid to, to ask for help. Before we get into it. I wanted to say you have a kick-ass beard. I know, I know that's so random, left field, but you do. And I'm, so I'm working on regrowing mine, but your beard's phenomenal. And being a beer enthusiast, I had to do some research. I looked up some other nicknames that I thought maybe okay. you'd appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Hophead, which mm-hmm. I've heard down before. Yep. Uh, beer devotee, a grog artist, which I thought that was pretty good. Grog yep. artist, uh, my personal favorite. Which, if you didn't have Ramblin' Red beard, mm-hmm. I thought this would be going the chairman of the brood. That's great. Well, that one's pretty good. Yep. That's just my thoughts. And you brought some beer. I don't know if you want to crack it open. If it's yeah. to, you know, before we get too in depth in the podcast. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just I would open it not near your equipment. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. That I, would um, be good. I kind of you didn't shake it up on me. Did no, it, okay. But it fell off the there. They're fine. And these are these are from a brewery right down the the street, Snitz Creek. Oh yeah, yeah, Snitz Creek. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's like five minutes down there. Not even. Yep, it's got a beautiful coming. label with with veteran uh, veteran theme on it. What do we got? In, Indian Town Gap. Oh, that's just north of here, uh, north of Fredericksburg a little bit. Yeah, very cool. Cheers. Cheers. Appreciate it. Oh wow. Yeah, Snitz Creek is is great. They're owned by the the Funk family, so mm-hmm. local uh, family owns a bunch of restaurants okay. and and breweries and such. So thank you nice. very much. I appreciate hey, you're welcome, that. Of course, you know I appreciate course. that, Tim and. Uh, there's, oh, there's so much we're going to talk about, and uh, let's take one more sip. You know, I want to get into background about yourself, mm-hmm. you know, where were you born and raised, but you had mentioned with irreverent warriors, mm-hmm. when service members mm-hmm. come home from overseas, some of the things they struggle with, uh, PTSD and things like that. Yep. I had quite a few veterans and current service members on the podcast. Um, I'm a big supporter of service members, and uh, two in particular, uh, one being Rebecca Gundrum, which I mentioned <coughs> 20-year Navy veteran, suffers from PTSD, but she's learning to live with it, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, she does phenomenal work. I don't know if you saw the painting when, when you came in, but she did the painting there. For the listeners, it's on Facebook and Instagram, American World Podcast. But there was another story I had uh, Matt Zeckman on. He's current active military. He was a, for lack of a better term, chopper gunner. Um, okay. 
you know, he's, he's still active, but when he came home from his time overseas, he said the hardest thing for him uh, was, you know, at night, lights off, doors are locked, but he said he, he still felt unsafe, even mm-hmm. though he's home. Right. And he said the reason, and I said, well, why? You're home. You know, you're not over in active, I don't want to say. Um, no. You're not over in foreign lands. You're home. You're safe. That's, you know, you should feel safe. And Downrange, I think, is what the... Yeah, you're, yeah, is, is a term the mil, the military for right. Word for so it, be downrange, range. okay. And he said, "No, you don't understand, Austin. When you're over there in the shit, he's like, you have people like you said watching your back. They got your six twenty four seven. They all are professionals. They all know how to use their firearms. And he's like, here, it's literally the lock on your door. That's the only thing keeping you safe at night. You know, yeah. while you're sleeping. Sure. And I would have never thought that. You know, I just never thought about that. You know. Yeah, and it's safe in many ways not just like oh somebody might shoot me somebody might break in it's it's safety in in well you know it's if you live alone you have that loneliness right you're in the middle you're never alone (laughs) you're never you i mean out in the navy i we slept 40 people to a a room three bunks high you're never alone if you're on duty you're with at least one other person so there's a, there's a lot to be so when you get out um, or just come home right like you yeah. said that guy the, the guy when he would come home would feel that way yeah you, there's a loneliness there's a there's a scaredness you don't feel safe because you're so used to to people being around you yeah which I mean when he said it I'm like oh that that makes sense he's like you know you're in your barracks <laughs> you have uh, you know watchtower secu- so much security. <laughs> So I just thought it was an interesting story, you know, yeah. something that you could speak speak to on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Like I, <clears throat> when I got out, I I had my issues and I had my things. That, and now years later, and, and talking to, I did go find help and and talk to somebody at the at the VA, and um, and I had another thing that I'll get into uh, later on down the road here. But you know, you you do deal with stuff when you get out of the service. That loss of community, and a lot of people don't even realize it. I, I, I think it's a, it's something that unless somebody brings it up, or when you're when you're in your own shit, I don't think you realize. Oh, it's because I, I don't have my community around me anymore. Yeah. I don't have my buds. Right, and we'll hit more on that. Mm-hmm. Let's get your background. Yeah, born and raised, family, siblings, all, as deep as you want to go. Sure. Yeah, I was I was born in in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and I was adopted from birth. My mom was young. She was in high school, got pregnant, and this is pre-Roe versus Wade. To sit, like, so that wasn't an option. Um, what the option was back then, uh, I grew up, you know, Boston's a very Catholic place, and uh, there was this group, it's still around, called Catholic Charities. And they're an organization through the Catholic Church for um, unwed mothers. And there used to be a hospital, it's not there anymore, called St. Margaret's. And it was called St. Margaret's Hospital for Unwed Mothers. So if, if you were going to give your baby up for adoption through Catholic Charities, you went to this hospital. It was free. And that's what happened. She, But the funny part, she waited eight months before she told anybody she was pregnant. Oh, wow. She wore girdles. She gained yeah. other weight. She um, Just recently, I saw a picture of her at her prom where she was... I think six months pregnant, and you can't tell. Can tell, yeah. And you hit um, it well, yeah. Yeah. So the result, though, was when I was born. So she went to her dad, and her, her 
she has a, a brother that just passed away who played professional baseball and he was home. Um, this was Vietnam time. Okay. So he was home. He had to do his, he was, you know, part of selective service had to do his training yeah. on weekends. So he'd pitch and then fly Jeez. home and like do his training and he was home and she said, Hey, can you help me tell, tell dad, dad mom and dad. Yeah. And he, he did. And they figure out a plan. Well, my grandfather was a, had an oil business, oil delivery business. And most of his client, uh, people were, were Catholic families. And he thought that he'd lose a lot of business. Wow, he's really. I mean, yeah, I guess back it's, then, it's, it, this was the '60s, right? This community. was '68, and um, things were were so different, different yeah. so different. Wow. Um, and and the decision was go through Catholic charities and and give and not tell anybody. They yeah. didn't. They didn't. So her and her brother, my uncle, and then her parents were the only people that knew. Wow. And so they they brought her there for the last month and a half. And then um, because she had been wearing the girdles and, and doing all this stuff, I was born, I was under three pounds. Really? And the doctors, again, this is 68, were like, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's going to live. Going to make it, yeah. So, Especially back then, right? Yeah. So the, 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 it's a funny story now. The parents that raised me, okay. like there's a process, right? Oh, we've got your next on the list. So you're contacted and you can come pick the baby up on this day. So my, my parents um, lived outside of Boston and had to take like a train, two buses and a trolley like in to get me. Wow. And they, so they come in with, you know, the baby bassinet, empty bassinet and only to go to the the desk uh-huh. and then say, he's, he's not ready to go and he may not be ready to go. Like yeah. he's in an incubator and, we're hoping for the best. Fingers crossed, saying prayers. Yeah. Yeah. And the um the irony, they they issued me a birth certificate, which they usually don't do for adoptions because you have to issue a birth certificate to issue a death certificate. Yeah. So uh and that that's funny. So long story short, I was I obviously I'm fine. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? Yeah. It worked out. Of, thank of, God. Of, you know? the, the thing. So the, the yeah. funny story is so twenty so the parents that raised me were absolutely amazing like I, I i can't look back and look at one thing and go god I, I wish for this i wish for that yeah and we lived a very simple life my dad was a guidance counselor okay and my mom didn't work but prior to my sister and i um coming around she she did what she was an amazing she worked with um blind preschool multi-handicapped kids wow so like kids that most people would write off, right? Right. Yeah. She worked with them and that's she taught them and, yeah. and taught them out. And then her whole life she worked with blind people. That was like her specialty. And she just on the side and not for money. She would just her specialty was she would go in to these shut-ins who didn't think they could make it in the you know couldn't figure out how to do things on their own. And she'd teach them how to go shopping, how to get on a bus. Wow. Just out of the kindness of her own heart. Yeah. Right? Just, yeah. yeah. Oh, she was. She would work. She she would sit in uh, church basements and answer prayer lines. Yeah, wow. she was just a, a special special human being. But she she passed away early. She passed away um, when I was twenty one, and doing what she loved. She she had gone back to work and she worked with kids yeah. individually. And my mom was four eleven. 
Oh my goodness, four eleven. Yeah, I was taller than her when I was, I was like say, yeah, seven. You're a tall dude. Or like, yeah, right. But so, still, yeah. And then my wow. dad was five three, so it was, yeah. it was really funny. That's, that so every, funny. Everybody later in life thought I was my sister's boyfriend. <laughs> so, um, but every day she would climb up on this desk and hang this. It was a mobile, mobile, like with different arms. Oh, okay, okay. And each arm had a something with texture, and that's how she would teach blind people colors. You know, cotton ball was white. Oh wow. Sandpaper was black. You know, it was diff- just different things. Yeah. Well, she hung it up, and, and the desk gave way, and she hit her head and was killed instantly. What? Yeah. So that plays Whoa. into the, the story in that every once in a while, and I say a lot, she would pray. Like, we were very Catholic, very prayerful family, and all the time she would pray for the mother that gave me birth. Yeah. And her goal in life, she goes, I wish... More than anything, I could talk to her and thank her for giving her, giving me the gift of of raising a, a child that I couldn't do myself. And uh, so when she passed away, I said, "I'm going to make good on that, on that." And I, as soon as Massachusetts laws opened up where you could go searching, yeah, I did. I found my my biological mother and and her, and that's how I know all these stories about. Okay, I was going to ask what happened. Yeah, how did you find this all out? Um, yeah, and I've been pretty close with with um with her and you know the whole family i've got two half brothers yeah actually it's funny i say half brothers and a half sister we're in the process we think maybe now that we're actual brothers really yeah so my her boyfriend was in vietnam when i was conceived well when i was born okay and i've been on this trip i hung out with a lot of family members that i hadn't before because they lived in different states. Right, right. And I had time to spend with them. Um, that uncle of mine that played professional baseball ended up living in Arizona. And I spent some time out there with him. And they have all these photo albums and all these things. And they're like, there's, we, so everybody knows who now, like, they're like shocked. How did she hide that? Yeah, right, right. And then they, they know who the supposed like father is. And they're like, there's no way. I think it's, so then, when her boyfriend came back from Vietnam, they got married and they yeah. had three kids and I'm looking at these pictures and it's just what, what though? So anyway, we're going to go through the, yeah. the DNA testing and, and see if really, if yeah. Like and real. figure it out. Yeah. And the, their dad actually has said a few times looking at pictures of me, he's like, well, I was home in November. <laughs> on, oh, geez, on leave I, and, yeah. So it, uh, it could, it could yeah. line up. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just a funny, yeah, the world funny, is funny, like funny that, you know. After like that, and then, um, and then just to add a little funny tidbit to it, my biological mom and I were out to eat in a place called Hingham, Massachusetts. Okay. At Wahlburgers. Oh, Mar- yeah. uh, Marky Mark, Marky and, Mark, and, yeah. and his brother. Yeah. Owned, and their mom was the the host oh, at the the brother that's like owns a really really nice restaurant right across the street. Yeah, and he's the one that made Wahlburgers and the recipes and all that. Well, she works at his, or she worked. She's passed away, but worked at his restaurant. But we go back and forth, and she came in, and of course, this was at the height of like that show, and everybody knew her, and she's talking with everybody, and she started talking to, to my biological mother and my me, and we going down this rabbit hole. We it it is a very good possibility she was in the room when i was born what because she was she worked at saint margaret's in the maternity ward 
There was only one birthing away room. Yeah. And uh, holy cow. She says, unless I called out sick that day, I worked Sundays. She so was probably there. When I you would were born. have been there. So, dude, that's crazy. That's, that's, that's a, crazy that's a weird, small world. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. wow. That's really that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. I went down a whole rabbit hole. So I, I was I was raised by great 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 parents. Um, and like I said, so my my dad, the dad that raised me, had tried to become a priest. He went to uh, Jesuit priest school. He yeah. went to Boston College, then preschool and. He was a couple of years in, and they said, "Listen, there's there's a real shortage for jobs. Like you can continue, but you know we, we don't know. We can't promise you a job." And so um, he went back to Boston College and got his master's degree, and met my mom like a few weeks later, and everything worked out cool. But um, he definitely had that like priest calmness and mentality and yeah. simplicity, and I think that like my my DNA and my my makeup is not that. No. <laughs> I'm hyper and yeah. crazy. Outgoing seems. And, yeah. yeah. And I think that his demeanor and, and like learning from him balanced me off and, and like really helped me with a lot of things in life where I might have just gone off the rails because I was yeah. like, you know, it's yin and yang kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know. now, um, you know, gr- growing up, up in Boston, um, you know, what was, what was school like? What was high school, you know, middle school like? And, uh, you know, after that, what were your plans? Yeah. yeah. So school was great up till a point. I was gifted intelligently. So grades weren't tough, but I caught a lot of flack for it. So I hung out with a lot of jocks. Okay. We were, we were called hawkers because we were the hawkers. Waltham hawks. I grew up in oh. Waltham. <laughs> yeah. So the jocks were hawkers. And then I grew up with a bunch of, uh, my neighborhood were a bunch of stoners and neither group, it was cool to be smart. Okay. Like you were kind of picked on. And I think I, I chose the peer pressure route and started like not doing well in school purposely to to fit in. You didn't want to be an outcast or get judged. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Especially at that age. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I, I, I really didn't apply myself that way i was a very good athlete i played um baseball at a high level and and played on the football team and our football team was you know like pretty good and yeah really, really good and we we had some great teams what position did you play wide receiver oh wow wide receiver yeah. okay and yeah. i uh, i was thinking tight end but wide well, receiver. i was a lot skinnier than <laughs> oh okay <laughs> He's a big guy, big build. I've drank a lot of beer since then. Yeah, there you if, go. <laughs> if I had known beer would have bulked me up like that, I would have been drinking in yeah. you know, a lot more in right. high school. Um, but no, I, I, I got you. And, yeah. But we had some great teams. So uh, growing up, I played football my whole growing up years, and we had a team when we were like fourteen, I think. Whatever, Pop Warner. Yeah. And we went un- uh, undefeated and unscored upon. Whoa! The whole, I mean, I think That's we like played eleven of. games, right? But we, yeah. we, nobody scored on us. But still at that age, yeah, it's like almost yeah. unheard of. Yeah. So, and then we all went up, the, moved up the ladder, and and we all end up, and and we we only lost two games in our senior year, and it it was great. Wow. It was really cool to be on the on the football team in my in my school. And then I was great at baseball. I was a pitcher. Loved sports. Like I, I, I was a great basketball player until uh, everybody else caught up to me in height. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then I wasn't that great. Um, but I love sports. And then school was good. And then I, I didn't know. I grew up around a lot of military. My dad that raised me was an Air Force vet. Um, my uncle 
was a Vietnam vet and a, and a Marine Vietnam vet. So, oh, wow. you know, Marines love to remind you they were Marines right, a right. lot. Yeah. And I, I, I looked up to this guy so much for a million reasons, but the fact that he was a Marine and I, I used to wear a Marine Corps t-shirt all the time. And, and I really felt like that's what my calling was, 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 was to do some military service. And, um, my parents, obviously they were, they're very academic. So they wanted me to go to college. Yeah. They'd actually wanted me to go to, um, get me out of public school because they, they knew they were smart enough. My dad being a guidance counselor was smart enough to see why I was kind of tanking the grades. So they wanted okay. to send me to a private school to kind of get me out of that yeah. thing. And I was like, no, I'm playing Waltham football. Play football, yeah. yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I started thinking more about that. And then I started getting some um, – a couple scouts for baseball were looking at me for, for pros. Oh, wow. And I actually talked to one scout, and they were they – were, there was this thing called a supplemental draft that baseball used to have. And it's like, hey, we'd like to you to be part of our organization. You're you're not under contract, you're not anything, but we're gonna we think enough of you to send you like to these instructional leagues. But I would have had to quit my senior year of high school. And you don't want to do that. No, I my I wanted to. My parents. Did. Oh, oh, your parents. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, but, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but, they're like, no, no. But my dad researched it, and it's it's like back then they, these things don't even really exist in America anymore. Um, they have them down in. You know, like uh, Venezuela and, and okay. uh, Dominican yeah. Republic, but n- not here anymore because it's they don't want kids quitting school and going to these instructional leagues. And my dad researched it's like one in a million chance, like one in every million people that go through this instructional league, like could make pro, yeah, could make it. So uh, he's like, yeah, this doesn't. So this ain't gonna th- fly. Yeah. yeah. So that w- that was that. But so then um, I said, okay, college. Re- I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just don't. I, I could like I knew I was smart. I you just, didn't want to go to Boston there. College, or no, I did, but I, you my, had the grades. My, probably I didn't have the grades then. I no. like I said, oh. I kind of tanked on the grades. Yeah, but I knew I could do like a year, at, you know, regular like a lower school and right. transfer. So it was it was a option, and you know, but then I just felt like I said, I, nah, I think I'm gonna I want to do this this military thing. So. I don't know the exact date, but I, I think once I turned seventeen, that's a le- legal age you can join the the military, but with your parents' permission. I went down the recruiting office, and I took the ASVAB test, and I went back, and the Marine recruiter was at lunch. So the Navy recruiter was like, hey. "I was going to ask, yeah, how do you get with the Navy?" Okay, uh, hey, yeah. uh, while you're waiting. <laughs> Let's go to this bar across the street. I'm nice. 17. 17, yeah. He gets a few drinks in me, yeah. and all of a sudden, I think the Navy's the greatest the best. thing ever. And not one. like, And, you know, everybody tells you tells these stories. Yeah, There's not one thing a recruiter tells you that's real. Really, yeah. No, it's their, yeah. their used car salesman uh, personified. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> They're trying to convince you. Their job is to get numbers, get new Get numbers, recruits. that's yeah, it. And, yeah. and, 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 you know. The military is I loved my time in service. Don't get me wrong. It's but it's you can't really sell it to somebody. 
Yeah. Hey, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be this. You're going to be like. There's no high points you're saying? No, no, no. At, you know, until you Without get, experiencing it. Right, until you experience it. Yes. Right. And the brotherhood and everything. That's when you. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but selling it to a 17-year-old kid. It's tough. You got it. There's a True. lot of lies. So yeah. um, because my scores were high, he that's why he really tried hard because he would get bonus points for putting people into these higher okay. job uh, description job things, right? Yeah. Uh, MOS as we call them. So he says, well, you can be a nuclear technician. Well, so what does that mean? He says, well, you'll be, you could be on submarines. I was like, uh, nope. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. With that. Yeah. Um, he says, but air, he goes, oh my God, air traffic controller. You'd be on an aircraft carrier. Well, that'd be pretty cool. And he says, oh yeah. And because you're only work when the airplanes are flying, you're the first one off the ship and the last one on and all this is total bullshit was that a lie yeah was that a lie garbage (laughs) oh and then you can get out and make yeah it's funny because this was 1986 you can make fifty thousand dollars which back then you know was was great money oh yeah yeah. and that's was kind of the truth but anyway so i I joined the navy and i went home with the papers for my parents to sign and i I walk in the kitchen yeah and my mom was very much a pacifist yeah the military wasn't her not her deal deal her thing, and, yeah. and the thought of a son going into the military didn't sit well for no because she had you know she grew up she had a lot of friends that were killed in vietnam and stuff so anyway i i, I tell them the good news and my mom's like no <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's Straight not doing up. that she's not signing it yeah no and then overnight my dad talked to her now my dad really my dad spent four years in the air force but primarily almost 100 percent, just to get that gi bill okay my, my right. dad was a very very smart man but very poor growing up and there was no way he was going to college without the gi bill so that was just a means to an end so it wasn't like he was like flying the air force flag out in our front yard and, right yeah you know singing singing their songs in fact he very rarely talked about his service but he still knew he, he experienced it and he knew what it can do and so he kind of convinced yeah. my mom that hey it'll be good for you it'll be good for me yeah and it was and and it, and it really was i don't regret i mean i I, probably, I could probably go down a list of things i go yeah that sucked but no you, you just you do it and i'm so happy now like i i realized that it's something that can't be taken away from me i'm proud that i was i served our country during the, the time that i did and I'm proud now that I'm in a position to help other veterans uh, with their struggles or just anything. Yeah. You don't have to be struggle. Just help in any way I can. Let's take a sip break yeah, if you're good. Yeah. The beer enthusiast, you know, you got to wet your whistle. Right. Um, before we go too far, because I feel like listeners will ask, who was your your uncle, first last name, that was the baseball player? Yeah, Jim Buker. Jim so Buker, okay. He played uh, – he played triple-A ball for the Kansas City Athletics, which is funny now because they just moved to Vegas. So they, they were they started in Philly, then ended up in Kansas City, then Oakland. And uh, it was funny because the year I was born was the fir- their first year in Oakland. And that was his last year as an A. Like, so he was going to move in. And that was going to be the year that maybe he moved up to the pros. But yeah. he never never made it up, never into, got the, up. Yeah. Um, in, into the pros. But – he had a great, you know, playing AAA baseball. He, he had a great life going all over the country. And Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I wanted to also thank you for your service. You know, I appreciate it. And and I, I feel like a lot of people don't say it. I don't know, maybe because they're too 
uh, afraid to come up and say to a veteran, you know? It's, it's a weird thing because yeah. I think if you ask any veteran, it's awkward, right? Yeah. Like, hey, I just, you know, hey, thank you for being a firefighter, you know, or it's thank job, you for being right? a, it's like a, a job. postman. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 and so, but I do think that it's nice, you know, it's, and I think that a lot of it has to do with we learned from Vietnam and that when people came, when veterans came back from Vietnam they were shit on yeah they were outcasts they were um horrible like treated treated very horribly so i think that the first chance that america got to to try to fix that was desert storm and the floodgates opened yeah i mean i remember coming home and there being yellow ribbons around trees I got hundreds of letters from like people just to any sailor from third graders to whatever, you know, the support was abundant. The support yeah. was crazy. And I think it was like, Hey, we've really messed up with the Vietnam vets. Let's not ever do that again. And so the country took on this persona of thank a vet. Thank you for your service. Veterans day became a, a much bigger deal yeah um things like that veterans discounts all over the place now yeah yeah so um as much as a vet will say they're awkward it's nice it it really is nice for people to say thank you for your service and you know from my perspective it's a it's a sign of respect right because not everyone's willing to do what you and so many others have done you know and i feel like that's a thing that's missing in this world is respect and you know and and especially for people that sacrifice so much you yeah. know that, that's that's why i i thank all of our service members men and women that are out there um you know just you know appreciate what you do because I, I feel like a lot a lot of people either don't say it because maybe they're too afraid to or you know i don't know people just uh, lack of respect sometimes so no no you that's know, fine yeah and i get like it it's a subject like it's 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 a subject because um like even us vets joke around like we'll be on the hike and people will come up like and we'll go yeah thank you for your cervix yeah. <laughs> oh, right yeah yeah things like that That's you great. know we make yeah. fun of it right right, right. And, and kind of joke around yeah. with it because i i truly believe that veterans are humble humble in a way yeah but out very outgoing yeah exactly ways. but personality humble for sure too. oh absolutely so uh, interesting story my favorite teacher in uh, middle school was Mr. Moritz, okay. uh, and he was a uh, he served. He was in Desert Storm, okay. um, just a phenomenal guy. And I, I gotta find him on social media. I'm sure I'll, I will, but because uh, I love to have him on. I remember he he tells stories of his time, you know, mm-hmm. overseas, and uh, yeah, just uh, just a phenomenal guy. You want to talk about Desert Storm, your time? How did you get from okay? You went in. The recruiter said, "Yep, you're coming to the Navy." Mm-hmm. Like, what's that experience like? So. Is is weird. So um, the good part about joining early was I get to go through this thing called DEP, which is delayed entry program. So I had a whole year before I left for boot camp. So the recruiter put on these DEP meetings. So you, you got to learn a lot about what to expect, especially in boot camp. So you're you're I was ahead of the game going into boot camp, and then I had an absolute blast between the end of my senior year in August when I left for the Navy. And I went a little crazy. And it was funny because in my mind, I'm never coming back. 
I'm joining them. I'm, I'm out of here. Out. Yeah. I'm not coming Peace. home. You're going to do your thing. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've, I've saying goodbye to my hometown. I'm never coming back. So, uh, yeah, there's some funny stories about asking every girl out that I ever <laughs> wanted to, because I'm like, I'll never see them yeah. again. And, um, yeah. But so then it's the recruiter picks you up and brings you to what's called, uh, MEPS, which is a military entrance processing center or processing where, and you go through the physical, you swear in and now it's official. Like now it's it real starts and you just get treated like shit. Really? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. the whole boot camp is a science. Boot camp is break you down to your lowest level and put you back together the military way. The way they want you. The way they want you. But they have to beat you down. To be able to then build you back up. And it's a lot of... It, it, the Navy, it's a lot of mental. Okay. There wasn't a whole lot of physical stuff in the Navy. It was a lot of mental stuff. And then you, fl- you fly. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. So that was oh, kind of cool. And nervous. You know, first time flying, you're always nervous. So I'm nervous yeah. to go to boot camp. I'm nervous to fly. And I, I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, which is just outside Chicago. I get there in August and it's hot as shit. So we we still did some physical stuff. It wasn't like we didn't do any. So it's really hot. And the second you get off the the funny story about my first day in boot camp was, um, I remember getting off the airplane and having a piss real bad. So I ran to the bathroom and got in trouble for get yeah because now they 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 gather you up and now you're theirs and you get on this bus and you go to and you go to boot camp and they they bring you right you get off the bus everybody's calling you a bug and they bring you into this room and then they piss test you why well, just gone oh no so they they are prepared so they have a bubbler with a clock over it and you have to drink a sip of water every five seconds until oh, they get you well, i don't know if they forgot about me or that was the deal. I think I drank two gallons of water. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So Trying to take a piss. Yeah. I go in and piss. Well, I've still got two gallons. And then they put you in these rooms. And, you know, the, the military thing about hurry up and wait is a real thing. The okay. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And then you sit there forever. And I'm in this room. You got to piss again. I got to piss like it's coming out my ears. <laughs> I'm raising my hand i'm telling people please you know let me piss and like, shut the fuck up like, yeah my, my grandfather would say your eyeballs were floating oh yeah yeah, yeah. my eyeball, i was in i was like i am gonna piss myself day Jeez. one yeah. of boot camp oh man and i still think my kidneys aren't the same because it <laughs> was of that brutal moment. Yeah. like and and that was my first day of, of boot camp and then um boot camp was kind of fun i was the entertainment because my boston accent which i've okay. lost since uh, everybody's like, just say anything. Just say anything. <laughs> you sound, just talk, you yeah. sound ridiculous. Coffee or yeah. 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 So uh, yeah. So that was that was boot camp. Um, and then I went from boot camp to Memphis, uh, uh, Millington, Tennessee, which is right outside Memphis, and that's where all the aviation, naval aviation, everything except for flying an airplane. Okay. You go there for school. So you live in dorms, but they're military dorms. So like, can't nobody is allowed in there that doesn't live there. Every third day you're on duty, so you can't leave. You're, oh wow! You have chores and and all this. And I actually had a blast. And uh, my roommate was this guy from Nash outside Nashville. 
Troy Schroeder. And I could his country is country got. I had never heard a country song in my life. Until I, that moment. Until I walk <laughs> into the room him. and he's got cowboy boots on, underwear, and a cowboy hat. Nice. Singing Country Boy Can't Survive by Hank Williams yeah. Jr. at the top of his lungs. I'm like, who the fuck is this, this guy? guy. <laughs> and um Oh man. And we've been friends since, since. Yeah, I just yeah. I spend two weeks every year hunting with him. I just got back. I, I, yeah. I go down to his place in That's outside awesome. Nashville and hunt, and we've yeah. been friends. We're like brothers. Um, we went. We went. For, he was a little, you know, obviously ahead of me in school, but we went to the same ship and okay. spent four years together on a ship, and then uh, we had both re-upped, and then you know I went to Brunswick, Maine, Naval Air Station, and he went to Memphis, and then. When Clinton got elected, he made a lot of bullshit moves when it came to the military. A lot of it had to do with pay. Like, you know, he campaigned saying he was going to cut defense spending. Well, he cut pay for for us. So, like, I just made E5. And life is, you know, um, I really got a lot out of one of your guests, uh, Damian Vargas. Vargas, yeah. um, Where he talks a lot about that. Like, you can't mess with fate. Yes. Like shit's pretty. De- not, I don't know if it's predetermined, but like when when you give in to fate and let it happen, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's it, like it's, it's like there's uh, you know everything happens for a reason kind of thing. And uh, yeah, Damien's a great guy. I knew him in high school, and he owns mm-hmm. a, a cafe, R and B cafe. Yep. You know, here yep. in town. But um, he had like yeah. a Latin saying or something, right? Yes. Oh God, I wish I, I can't knew. Remember, right? But yeah. it's having to do with with fate, and and you just got to live with it. So anyway, now I don't look back. Yeah, so after six years, I I left then. Um, but before that, I so Brunswick, Maine is about forty minutes north of Portland, Maine, and Portland, Maine is the craft beer like mecca. Like everybody says, Vermont is, yeah. but I think that came later. But Portland, Maine has, I think, seventeen breweries, and wow. Portland's not that big of a. I didn't city. think so. Yeah, but. The OG Gary's, and it wasn't craft beer then. It was just a plate, a brewery, Budweiser. But anyway, so there was a place that opened up the like the week I got to Brunswick called Gritty McDuff's. Okay. And they, they were calling themselves a, a, a brewery. And they had a, it was like a restaurant, but they made the beer downstairs. And they didn't even know how to price it. Because there was no such thing. It was so new, yeah. yeah. And so they literally would go around with pitchers, and you just throw change up on the, no on way, the, on the, the platter, you know, the the tray, Jeez. and they'd pour your beers and stuff. And then finally, they got pricing it, but it was still cheaper than regular bars, and we loved it. And the beer was good. And I think what happened, you know, I'd been all over the world, and I drank great beer. So coming back to drink, going back to Bush Light, yeah, <laughs> it's not safe. Yeah, that ain't gonna cut it. No. So yeah. so then all of us guys that had experienced drinking great beer, we were like, "This is amazing." Yeah. Where were some of the places, if you don't mind? Like, where were you throughout? Yeah. So most, almost everywhere in the Mediterranean. Wow. So we we um, were part of what's called the Sixth Fleet, which is um, it's probably split up. I, I don't know if it's exactly half, but. Um, there's a fleet that goes in it's it's a carrier and so many support ships that are always in the Mediterranean. And then there's one always 
back at home, and then there's always one in the Caribbean. Like there's there's battle groups, are what they're called. So Spain, a bunch, Italy, a lot, because you would stop there twice. It's called a med cruise, a six month cruise. Um, Egypt, Turkey, Tunisia, which I wow. didn't even know existed. Yeah, I don't remember that. Um, it's in between Libya and Egypt. Okay. It's a small, it's the old Carthage. So if you're a history buff, uh, Carthage, it was, it's in uh, um, Tunisia and Alexandria, Egypt were, were kind of like uh, sister cities. and um, But it, I mean, it was a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, yeah. saying you should book your trip to Tunisia yeah, anytime people soon. People are in a hurry to get there. Yeah, um, yeah. It was actually, if, if you're familiar with the, the Indiana Jones movie, it's the they filmed the scene where the guy is like ravishing this like big sword. Oh, yeah, yeah, And he yeah, just yeah. casually turns around, shoots oh, him, a, and walks that's away. That's place? Yeah. That was filmed in was... Tunisia. Wow. And that's probably the only worth thing <laughs> worth of note. <laughs> Uh, from yeah. the country of Tunisia. Yeah. But it was weird because Tunisia shared a bo- border with Libya, which at that time we were at war, you know, in essence, at war with. And people were, there were Libyans in the bars in Tunisia because they would come over the border to work. So that was freaky. That's wild. Um, yeah, but all, t- like, Israel um, was amazing to me. Uh, we had a blast because, so, one of my own big, like, scares in the military was we were in the Mediterranean Sea and we were just fucking with Libya. So Gaddafi had this thing called the line of death. And it was like this imaginary line at the mouth of what was called the Gulf of Oman. And he says, anybody that go, anybody that isn't Libyan or uh, one of our allies that goes in automatic death. So we just, we're going in and out. out. Pretty much with a big middle finger in the air. Yeah. And so he sent two MiGs. They were Lib- Libyan MiGs. What is a... It's a... They're a Russian plane. Okay. So almost everything Libya had is, was Russian. Oh, wow. Uh, given to, to them by Russia. And it's just a... It's it's one of their better fighter jets, but it's a fighter. You okay. Know, and, and sent them headed right at our ship. So we had F-14s in the air, and the F-14s... When I say intercept them, like... What's what's weird about what's actually happens now with with aviation warfare and what you see in the movies? Yeah, like Top Gun. Yeah. Okay. You're doing a lot of your fighting 200 miles apart. Wow, really? Yeah, because you're locked on with radar for your missiles and stuff. So you don't need to be like you in the movies. Be... They're like right next to each yeah, other because that's yeah. it's kind of hard in a movie to show a dogfight that's <laughs> right. 400. It would be that yeah. miles apart, <laughs> right? But anyway, so yeah. they're they're closing, but. If you're doing 700 miles an hour <laughs> at fine. each other, th- that 400 miles closes closes really quick. Yeah. So the F-14s did all these things. So there's these maneuvers that are all predetermined by world law. And I don't know what that is. It, I would guess it's like a Geneva Convention thing, right? Okay, yeah. Like if you rock your wings and you do this and you, you maneuver a certain way, the action of that other plane says whether you're – at war or not at war. Oh, shit, yeah. So I'm listening to this, right? Because I, I'm an air traffic controller, but I'm I'm working in air operations on the ship, and I'm listening to this. And the pilot is freaking out because he can tell this these Libyan MiGs are locked. They're serious. They're locked on. So they press a button. Yeah. That missile's shooting them down. There's no... You could maybe ev- evade it, but who... Yeah. It's not a fun position to be in regardless. No, right, right, yeah. So... um 
here's the problem with with America, and you, you, you hear this a lot with military people, terms of engagement. Yes. So there's American military have these very, very, very strict terms of engagement. And what they are is you cannot pull a trigger unless these criteria are met. Okay. And lots of people have gone to jail for doing their job. Yeah. Right? It's interesting you bring this up real quick because uh, that gentleman I mentioned, uh, Matt Zeckman, mm-hmm. who owns Cleona Coffee Roasters in Anvil, mm-hmm. you know, he was a, a chopper gunner, a door mm-hmm. gunner, um, and he had a similar thing, I believe, in, in that episode. Uh, it was a uh, an AK-47 or something yeah. like that was pointed at him, and, you know, like you said, there's these rules of engagement, yeah. and, you know, he... But yet, the guy's got the gun pointed at him, you know. Yep. So it's like, what do you do? But continue, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you're you're under certain things. You can't shoot back. Yeah, unless they, you're like shot at. Shot or at, or he I said, mean, yeah. I don't even think it's even stricter than that. But in this as in this thing, these pilots could not shoot, and so they, they're sitting ducks. Really. Yeah. So literally, what had to happen? Somebody had to wake Ronald Reagan up, oh, wow, and, and get permission because yeah. if we shoot that plane down, we're now at war. And you need permission from the president to, yeah. to anything. So the whole time, this guy's screaming in, you know, they're locked on, they're locked, they're fucking locked. And he's, you can tell he's freaking out. Yeah. And then you, you hear this guy in what's called the Combat Information Center, uh, weapons yellow, which means you can't <laughs> shoot. Oh, nice. you, you can arm them. Okay. Right. You can right. get them ready. Be prepared. But you can't shoot. But, yeah. Weapons yellow. Fucking weapons. Like, and you can listen. You can bring this. This is all on YouTube. Okay. There's there's hundreds of of in yeah. video of of this all uh, happening, and he's freaking out. And then they actually pass each other. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. that's on video. And and then now they're in a, a real dog fight where, like you see in the movies, they're in close. But yeah. If this, if he had been allowed to shoot, that would it would have been over a long time before they got close. Well, then finally, they got the permission to you know weapons green, and they made two basic maneuvers and shot the MIGs down, and that was it. And that was it. it was wow, over that, like that. that quick, yeah. yeah, because it's far superior. Yeah. I think really the only air force in the world that's not superior to us is Israel. Israel fight like Israel military is far beyond. I feel that's that's my opinion, because for hundreds of years they've been surrounded by their enemy. Seriously, you're and right. They're so yeah. small, right? right? It's yeah. They've got to be a little dog with a lot of teeth for sure, right? You know, I watched. Well, they have that Iron Dome, and that, I mean, this is more recent. Just hearing things in the news, yeah. you know, and that blows my mind how it intercepts these missiles coming from you know these foreign nations to protect their their people. Well, we and have that too. Yeah. See, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, Reagan started. They, they call it Star Wars, but no way, really. I think if if missiles came in I, I, to the United States, I'm pretty sure they're going to get intercepted. So we have something similar. Yeah. So we had. Yeah. So even on our ship, we had defensive me- mechanisms for because we were pretty defenseless as a carrier. We didn't have any guns. We didn't have this. Really? We, we so the carriers don't have any guns? No, we had these things called Sea Whiz, which I, I've forgotten what that acronym means now. But it looked like a giant R two D two, and it was like a Gatling gun, and it would just swivel and it would shoot fifty cal rounds. Oh wow! I forget how many per second, but a shit ton. Yeah. And because one of my earlier jobs on the ship for what was called general quarters or battle stations was to feed the bullets into this thing, 
and that would shoot down missiles. But it was kind of by luck. Like, I yeah. mean, the aiming, was, I'm sure, wasn't all that great. Right, but well, there was somebody inside with a radar that was. Would shoot that's what I was gonna say. Was it a, was it a human or was it a? No, it was a, well, it was a human, but it, they weren't in in that. They okay, were somewhere in the ship. How did you feed? Uh, they were belt? boxes. Yeah, and they were on belts. Okay, like any, like most fifty cal, and in nine yard belts. Which I'm a big. I love the origin of things. Yeah, okay, and so if you ever wondered why, I gave it all nine yards. You give it all night. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Doesn't make sense, right? Well, it's ten yards is a first down in football. Right, exactly. So anyway, nine yeah. yards is a machine gun belt. So if you've given, you give it nine yard, you give it all nine oh, yards. That's all it has. You give them all your bullets. Yeah. So anyway, there's a, that's there's a little background. So yeah, we'd feed these, and like you'd be constantly feeding these boxes of ammunition into the sea. Yeah. So, but anyway, so we shoot these Libyan MIGs down. Well, now. We're like, we're at war. We're at war, right. And we're right. off the coast of Libya. And now general quarters goes for real. Like, so, shit. Every, ten times a week we would do general quarters as a drill. Now it's, there was no, this is Game a drill, time. this is a drill. It's, we're on. And, yeah, so I had to go out to the Sea Whiz. Now, the last thing I knew, the radar was showing that all sorts of ships were being launched from Libya. Jesus, and we're like, I'm like, fuck, we're at, we're at war, and we just kept sailing, and eventually nothing, and we just stand down, and that was it. Well, we kept sailing, and our next port visit scheduled was Libya, was a uh, Israel. So Israel hates Libya. They've heard this news. We w- walked in like conquering heroes. I, yeah, I bet. And yeah. they rolled out the red carpet for us, and it was. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a neat experience for sure. Yeah. yeah. And Israel was cool. Like, I, I, I didn't know what to think. Israeli people don't look like Israeli people <laughs> no? from America. No, they're all olive skinned, blue eyes. Like, they, it's oh, wow. different. It's yeah. a complete different. And it was cool because being Catholic, you know, I went to a lot of the Jesus was here locations. Yeah, locations, and yeah. Stuff. So, for a, I think I was 20 then. Yeah, 20 years old. So, it was pretty cool. And the fact we, we did that and, we went unscathed. Like that was really Seriously. cool to walk out the other end of. It's kind that. of badass for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we got some. I don't think we got medals, but ribbons for it. We got to, we got to paint two Libyan MIGs on the side of the ship. Oh, nice. Okay. You know, and, yeah. And uh, the guys that shot them down got to paint MIGs on the side of their airplanes, and wow. there's a whole celebration that goes with that. So it was, it was pretty cool for, you know, you, you just never know when you join the military, like. Is shit going to go down? And you, you kind of hope not, right? Because I think... Um, I'll do, so one of the coolest pictures I've taken with irreverent warriors was we were on a march, and I want to think it was in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, and we got word that this anti-war protest was going on in this park that we were going to walk by. Oh, Jesus. And everybody's yeah. like, oh, shit. So we just, we met them. And we talked, like, people, we talked to each other. And I took a picture of a, of a buddy of mine talking to a woman with, like, a sandwich board on that's that said, no more war. And to me, the duality of it was, like, as as military people, we don't want war either. We, re- I mean, I'm sure there's a handful of people that go, yeah, I want to go get involved in some shit. But I think 
for the, the most, most part, part. Yeah. You want to be strong and ready in case something happens. Right. But for the most part, you don't want it to happen. Yeah. Right. So you just wonder, is shit going to happen? And, and then it does. And you're like, hey, that was kind of cool. But on the flip side, I got a letter. And that's funny to say. It t- took two weeks to get to me. And it was my mom said, hey, I heard what happened. I said a prayer for the mothers of the two pilots that were killed, the Libyan pilot. And I'm like, I, didn't, I never even thought. I didn't give one thought to that there was even human beings like in the cockpit. Right. It was just the enemy. We shot them down. Yeah, did your and job. That was it. I didn't yeah. even think, hey, we just killed, maybe, maybe killed. Like we, the the pilots are saying they saw two shoots and splash, which is like saw them in the water. So I don't know if they lived or not. But I'm saying I didn't give it a thought. I didn't care. So my mom, though, gave me this, the perspective of they are humans, and they're putting their uniform on for their country, too. I was going to say, do you think it's the – obviously? well, it must be. Right? It's not you think. It's the training, right? Mm-hmm. It's to look at the – I guess the enemy as as the enemy and not, not yeah. human, maybe. You know what right. I mean? Because it's either kill or be killed. Yeah. It, it's funny. Still to this day, it's hard for me to not picture, picture Russians as the enemy because I was, I was a Cold War – Right, that's right. right. Yeah, military, yeah. and Russia was the big bad wolf, the big bad enemy, and it was ingrained in them. They, they're trying to kill us. Yeah, and so now, even thirty something years later, I'm like, whenever I hear even the word Russian, I'm like, enemy, red, red flag, red flag. Yeah, exactly. for sure, <laughs> for sure. And I did look up. You know, we were talking. Uh, I had my computer pulled up. That saying was amor fatai, uh, love of fate. Or love of one's fate. Uh, Damian Vargas, that's the, the saying you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, I just so. think it's cool. Like, I, I definitely... And so, um, the trip that I went on, I'm, by nature, a big control freak. I've been in... I was in sales for forever. So, after my Navy career, I did a bunch of things. I went down to Florida to become a professional golf caddy. Oh, nice. Uh, wow. uh, Are you uh, into golf? I, I was into caddying. I grew okay. up, like, okay. my whole life, I caddied. And... Yeah. I think that made me a good salesperson because from age 10 on through high school, I was dealing with C-level people just on a golf course and kind of negotiating with them, like trying oh, yeah. to get a good tip. A lot right? of business is done on the golf course. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, I did a lot of stuff, but you know, I, I really, really believe. Well, so being a control freak, being in sales, when I went on my trip, I, plan, like, I planned everything out to the nth degree. And I didn't use any, like, I can't say any of it, but I didn't use much of it because once I got out there, yeah. once I got on the road, I realized this is so much bigger than me. Like, I don't know what I've gotten myself into. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, right. the, the, you're right, the 50 states for the beer. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. Can we, I just want to oh, add yeah, one more question. Sure. Let's take a sip break. Stay tuned for part two next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. To see photos of today's guests and more content, just search American Grown Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, please direct message or email Austin at americangrownpod at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by these sponsors. Cleona Coffee Roasters is a small batch coffee roastery and coffee shop. Veteran and first responder owned, community oriented, and roasted fresh to order. Now open inside 911 Rapid Response, Anvil, PA. 
go to CleonaCoffeeRoasters.com to order online, see updated hours, and find where you can buy it close to you. Triggered 22 LLC, a veteran-owned apparel company. By purchasing a t-shirt, hat, or hoodie from Triggered 22, you're not only supporting a small business, but you're bringing awareness to veteran PTSD and suicide. Please help save the lives of those who fought for our freedoms. Visit Triggered22.com now and place your order. Let's help those suffering from invisible wounds.